We've been talking about Ukrainian President Zelensky's speech to Parliament today. As was the case pre-pandemic, the place was packed. Guests in on the floor in the gallery. The blue and yellow of the Ukrainian flag was prominent today. Among those on hand were many members of Canadians or Canada's Ukrainian community, including my next guest, Alexandra Hutchie, is president of the Ukrainian Canada Council. She joins me now, Congress Father. She joins me now. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I understand you were in uh, the House of Commons today when President Zelensky delivered his speech. What was that like? Well, it was uh, very uplifting for uh, those of us representing the Ukrainian-Canadian community uh, to hear the House uh, applauding for minutes on end, multiple times, hearing uh, the calls of Slava Ukraini, Heroyam Slava, glory to Ukraine, glory to her heroes, was very meaningful to, to us. What did you make? I mean, I thought I'd watched um, the address that he'd given in Britain last week. Um, I was I was certainly struck by the fact that this was such a tailor-made Canadian address. It was. I mean, President Zelensky tried to paint a picture for every Canadian of what it is like to live uh, in a state of war, uh, to uh, explain to your children what is happening, to uh, live in fear of bombing, to be fired upon, to have your holy places desecrated. He painted such a vivid picture that it was impossible for anyone to deny the reality of this war. But for Ukrainian Canadians, uh, it, it had double meaning because we have walked the streets of Kiev, the streets of other cities in Ukraine that are under attack today. I was going to ask, he also mentioned at one point he spoke directly to the diaspora saying, you may be part of history, but you should, this is modern history and asked for your support as well. That was quite, was that expected? Was that an expected call from the president? Well, I, I think President Zelensky knows that the diaspora around the world is fighting tooth and nail to help Ukraine. Uh, he understands that it is our moral duty to do that, to do whatever we can in whatever way we can to help our brothers and sisters. Once again, the idea of a no-fly zone was brought up. It's been something that's been requested. There's an op-ed today I know that was written by, by your organization, uh, essentially asking for the same. Where do you think, how frustrating is it that that seems to be a red line? Well, <clears throat> I think it might show a lack of creativity on the part of the military. Um, there are, what we're asking for really is to protect Ukraine's skies. And there's more than one way to do that. A no-fly zone is one way, additional ground-to-air missiles, better detection systems, all of these factors taken together and probably means of which I as a civilian have no idea. But I do hope that our NATO leaders are putting their best strategists forward to figure out how to do this. Because in President Zelensky's speech, you could tell, even compared to last week, that while there was a lot of uh, gracious and grace and compliments there for Canada, there was also a certain amount of, I don't know if it's anger or frustration, but certainly a, a certain amount of cold, hard reality about what's happening in his country right now. Well, you know, Ukraine was faced with deep and abiding concern for many years. Uh, really 
meaningless gestures that failed to stop Russia at the time when it should have been stopped. In 2008, when they invaded Georgia, in 2014, when they invaded Crimea and the Donbass, and the in, in unwillingness of the West to respond was perhaps forgivable, understandable. I don't know. In hindsight, it is not. But at the time, there didn't seem to be any further escalation. But now, when, when Ukrainian people are dying, when his citizens are being mowed down in humanitarian corridors, President Zelensky is asking himself, what more needs to happen before the world responds, before the world uh, reacts to or, or abides by its obligation to, to protect under the UN Charter. Given today's address to Parliament, tomorrow's address to the U.S. Congress, are you any more confident now than you were, say, last week, that there will be movement on protecting Ukraine's skies? Well, we're already seeing movement in that direction. Estonia's president today, a NATO country, called for a no-fly zone. And of course, the Balts and the Poles uh, are our closest neighbors. They understand that all that stands between them and Putin is Ukraine, and they understand the need to protect Ukraine so that Ukrainians can live to see another day and, and join, join the European Union, join the NATO alliance, uh, as, as is their right to do. I wanted to ask you a bit about the humanitarian situation, because that was mentioned in not as a, as a prominent part of President Zelensky's speech, but certainly part of it. We now know there are more than 3 million, according to the UN, 3 million people have left Ukraine fleeing the fighting. Canada brought in some new rules a few weeks ago. How are those progressing? Are, are you satisfied with what you're seeing? And if not, what more could be done? Well, we are waiting to hear from Minister Fraser's office as to the details around what was announced. Uh, we expect that that will be forthcoming. But what is also noticeably absent is the engagement of the international community in any uh, unified way to manage this humanitarian crisis. Uh, it's astounding to me that there has not been engagement of international agencies to manage the flow of refugees. Um, the Poland, uh, Romania, Slovakia and Moldova cannot possibly absorb the number of refugees that have already crossed into their across their borders. But we are projecting now 12 million refugees. And that requires a coordinated international response. And Canada is but one of those countries that has already responded, but much more needs to be done by the global community. Alexandra, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you.